Hi guys and welcome to the Research Zone podcast, the podcast where we aim to make sense of youth mental health research. Each week we will talk to a different researcher to learn about their research project, discussing the why, what, where, when and how of their research and most importantly how this can benefit us as young people. All the relevant links will be in the show notes so please do check them out if you're interested in today's topic. Without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the Research Zone podcast. My name's Lizzie and today I'm joined by Becky. Becky, if you'd like to introduce yourself and give us a brief summary of your research. Yeah, of course. Um, Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, My name's Dr Becky Appleton and I'm a research fellow um, at the Mental Health Policy Research Unit at UCL in London. Previously, I did my PhD at Warwick Medical School and it's that piece of my research that I'm going to talk about today. Brilliant. That sounds amazing. So can you tell us more about this piece of research in summary and then we'll go into a bit more detail later on? Yeah, of course. Um, So for my PhD, I explored the problems faced by young people um, when they reach the upper age limit of child and adolescent mental health services. Um, more commonly known as CAMS. Um, And this normally happens when young people are between 16 to 18 years of age. Um, This can depend on where they live. It can vary between different NHS trusts um, and different counties. And I wanted to look at what happened when these young people reached the upper age limit of their CAMS service and what happened to them afterwards. So in theory, if a young person still requires some ongoing care um, at this point, then care should be transferred to an adult mental health service known as an AMS. Um, and this occurs through a process known as transition, which is a managed process where the young person is involved in decisions around their care and involves full transfer of the young person's information. However, this transition doesn't always happen or is managed quite poorly. Um, And in that case, then these young people are said to have fallen through the gap between services. And that is the group that I chose to focus on for my PhD. Brilliant. So you've kind of already indicated this, but why did you choose this problem? What usually tends to happen to these people that fall through the gaps? So originally I was working as a research assistant on a wider project on transition, which is called the Milestone Project. And this was a European study in which we um, collected data from over a thousand young people across eight different European countries. And as part of this, my job was to meet with young people and their parents at four times over a two year period to follow up um, with what happened to them after they left CAMS. And what I found when I was doing these assessments and data collection with young people was that a lot of the young people were having quite poor experiences of care and quite poor continuity of care when they reached the upper age limit of CAMS. But we weren't really focusing too much on the experiences of these young people as part of the wider study. So that made me want to go and apply for funding to be able to do a PhD on this topic. Brilliant, that sounds so interesting comparing the countries. Out of interest, what was the difference between the countries? Like, were some better than others? Yeah, it was really interesting, actually. So... um, what we found was that in certain countries, the rates of young people falling through the gap was a lot higher. So for example, in the UK, in Italy, and in the Netherlands, a lot more, um, a lot higher proportion of young people fell through the gap than transitioned to AMS. Whereas in countries like Belgium, it was the other way around. 
And this was probably linked a bit to the structure and the funding of mental health services um, in these countries. But it could also be explained by um, differences in how we recruited young people in different countries. So it could be that young people were more ill in some countries than others, which may have also impacted this. So it's hard to know for sure. That's so interesting. And then obviously that led into your project. So for your project, what did you do and how did you find out more about the transition period? Um, So I did a few different things, really. So first of all, I did a systematic review. So just looked at all of the literature that was out there already. And I wanted to look at the service use outcomes of young people after leaving CAMS. So where they went, did they receive any further care? And I also wanted to look at the mental health outcomes of young people after leaving CAMS. And actually, I didn't find any evidence at all around the mental health outcomes. Now, this is a gap that will be plugged in a way by the milestone study. That was something we did when we followed up young people for two years. But it was just interesting that there was this lack of research before that project was done. I also looked at the um, services destinations and I found that around 25% of young people did transition to AMS after reaching the upper age limit of CAMS. Um, and around another 25% stayed in CAMS even after reaching the upper age limit of that service. However, um, for the other half of young people, the outcomes were unknown. They weren't, often weren't recorded. Um, young people often experienced multiple transitions in quite a short space of time. So it could be that they were discharged back to their GP and their GP then tried to transfer them somewhere else. So there wasn't really any previous evidence to show what happened to these young people. I did a mixed methods study where I um, took some of the data that we'd collected as part of Milestone. And I also did a qualitative interview study with a subsample of young people who had fallen through the gap in across two different trusts within the UK. That sounds so interesting. And what did you find? What was the outcome of all this data that you pulled? So I looked at three different things. I looked at why did young people fall through the gap? the effect this had on them and their families, and also the healthcare and societal costs of falling through the gap between services. And I really found that most young people fell through the gap due to inadequate service provision. So there weren't any services available which could meet their needs. For example, the most cited reason for falling through the gap was young people being told that they weren't ill enough to access adult mental health services. So they didn't meet the threshold, which often meant that they were discharged or discharged to their GP after leaving CAMS. I also identified a group of young people who were kind of stuck between services. So they were told that they were not ill enough for adult mental health services, but they were also too ill for wellbeing services. So something like IAPT or a local youth counselling service, for example. And these young people were often left not being able to access any kind of mental health support looking at the effects that falling through the gap had on young people unsurprisingly not being able to access mental health care and if they were really struggling had a significant negative effect some young people dropped out of education some couldn't really leave their house and it just shows the importance really of being able to access timely mental health support linked with that is also problems being able to access medication so if a young person was no longer under a psychiatrist because they'd been discharged from mental health services then they could then experience some problems being able to access their medication. It might be that their GP either didn't feel comfortable re-prescribing medication or they couldn't prescribe it at all or um, the young person didn't know who they could talk to if they wanted to stop their medication 
or have a medication review because again that wasn't always something that they felt comfortable with going to the GP for. And then moving on to the effect that falling through the gap had on parents, aside from the obviously emotional impact it had on them, a lot of worry about what would happen if their child's mental health got worse. I also found that parents would take on the role of doctor themselves. So this could range from, you know, just really pushing and being an advocate for their child to be able to access other mental health services. Or some parents also reported having to do things like help wean their child off medication because their child wasn't able to get another prescription. Or the parent would research um, self-help type programs and do these with their son or daughter in the absence of any professional support. The other finding related to the costs of falling through the gap was also really hard to actually measure because if a young person isn't accessing mental health care then that doesn't really show up as a healthcare cost because they've fallen through the gap so they actually aren't accessing services. So it is likely that these are mostly informal costs. So, for example, unpaid care, if parents have to take time off work to look after their son or daughter, or also a lack of earnings. So I mentioned that some young people reported dropping out of further education due to their poor mental health, for example. But these things are just really hard to measure in a research study. That is a whole lot of problems for these young people that have fallen through the cracks. And I think it's so great that your study kind of shone a light on this, because like you said, it's not really investigated or researched. And a lot of the time, if you're not in services, then it's almost like you don't exist because you're not on any kind of data collection point. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why I had a really unique opportunity to interview these young people, because they were already involved in a research study, which started when they were at CAMS. It meant that I could contact them again and interview them after they'd left CAMS. Whereas normally, if these young people aren't receiving any care, then it's really hard for researchers to be able to access them. So from all of your findings and results, what do you think this means? Like, what are the implications for like policy or practice or for young people? So I did generate quite a few um, recommendations for policy and practice based on this research. Some of it is actually just making sure that the current NICE guidance on transition is followed. So this guidance came out in 2017. So it would have been around the time that the young people in the study were kind of leaving CAMS. So maybe things are slightly different now. But some young people reported not being well prepared for care at CAMS to end. Or also that care at CAMS stopped really abruptly. So on their 18th birthday, you know, they were no longer eligible for care at CAMS and they'd have to be discharged if they couldn't be transitioned to AMS. Whereas actually, the NICE guidance states that transition should occur at a time which is more suitable for that young person's circumstances. So other things that are going on in their life, so for example, one of my participants, CAMS care finished in the middle of their A-levels, and they were finding it really stressful. Or, you know, it also doesn't take into account their mental health at that moment in time. The guidance should be followed so that the cutoff at care at CAMS can happen at a more appropriate point rather than having a rigid age cutoff. There are a few other suggestions as well, so some which were involving parents more in care. Parents are traditionally cut off from being involved in a young person's care when they turn 18. And in some cases that's completely appropriate, but in some cases where young people would like their parents to be involved, then I think it's important that parents are still kept up to date and are allowed to help 
when it comes to helping their child access mental health support. Another suggestion is that there should be a gradual reduction of support. So if no, if a young person can't transition, that young person's care should reduce in a gradual way rather than having a sudden cut-off. And this is reported again by quite a few young people in my study. And young people and their parents reported that having a direct link back to CAMS after discharge could help alleviate quite a lot of the anxiety they faced, especially parents when they really worried about what to do if their son or daughter's mental health got worse, because they worried about having to go back to the GP and get at the bottom of another waiting list. Whereas having a direct link back into CAMS for CAMS to make that onwards referral could actually help reduce a lot of that anxiety and improve access to care again after leaving CAMS. A further recommendation is based on the medication problem. We suggest that a medication continuation plan should be discussed with young people prior to leaving CAMS. This means that GPs won't be required to prescribe specialist medication um, without having the appropriate support or a shared care arrangement from specialist services. A shared care arrangement would also mean that young people can still access things like medication reviews and assess whether medication is still necessary after leaving CAMS. Some of the young people in my study also have problems with their mental health need being assessed over telephone. Now, this research was conducted prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So I know now that services are using telephone and telemental health a lot more. So this recommendation may not apply as much, but it's still important if there is a preference for face-to-face care, that especially now that restrictions have lifted, that young people are able to receive a face-to-face assessment. Alternatively, if it has to be done over the telephone, then I think make sure that it's comprehensive. A lot of young people described having a five-minute phone call with somebody and they felt really anxious and couldn't really tell that person how they were feeling. And then their referral was rejected and they kind of wondered if they'd done something wrong because they hadn't been able to explain themselves over the phone. So that is something else which I think could be improved and was one of the suggestions from young people in my research. And one final recommendation is that services should be structured to ensure that the needs of all young people are met. So this would involve a reform of the current system to allow for services which are tailored to the mental health needs of young people and should hopefully stop young people falling through the gap and fall into that space where they are too ill for community mental health services but not ill enough to access AMS. Wow, that's a lot of recommendations, but they all make so much sense. And I just think how much better and easier the transition would be for young people if they were followed. But I think listening to them all said like that, they're basically all just about communication, listening to and empowering the young person, really. And I feel like that's what mental health services should be set up to do. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it's difficult because it sounds like oh, there's so much that needs to be fixed. But like you say, a lot of these changes aren't really big things. It's often around involving young person and their family, if applicable and wanted by that young person. And just to make sure that a young person's needs are met. Definitely. And like you said, there's already the nice guidelines out there. So I'm guessing none of this deviates too much from them. So I think it's just ensuring that services follow them and not use the transition period as like a place to cut corners and like save a bit of time. Yeah, and it's really hard as well. I know it's difficult for clinicians when they don't get a lot of time and, you know, there's really long waiting lists anyway. So I I can see how they can also struggle to find the time to do this transition and have things like joint transition meetings is really difficult, especially when you need to involve people for more than one service. 
definitely but I think it's crucial that it happens yeah and that is part of the problem even if they do transition to arms then the waiting lists are often so long then that young person as you say can be without care for a really long period of time definitely and I think practically speaking what do you think is needed for this to happen do you think it's more funding do you think it's more awareness or new guidelines or I think it's probably a bit of all of the things you just mentioned um I think generally there needs to be more collaborative working so just join better joins up care between services so that might be between CAMS and AMS it might be between CAMS and IAPT um, a lot of the young people in my study were discharged their GP so their GP could make a referral elsewhere. But it seems like that could potentially be something CAMS could do, which would mean that the CAMS notes could move with the young person. I think also just better involvement of the GP as well, if a young person is discharged, because often the young person would turn up at the GP practice and the GP hasn't actually been involved in their care. Maybe they made that initial referral to CAMS, but there hasn't been any kind of handover or notes come from CAMS with that young person. Potentially new collaborative care models could also help. So just better working between different types of community mental health services, just to make sure that young people don't fall through the gaps and also just aren't passed around to different services, but that they actually receive good quality of care. I think all of those things would help so much. And I live in Birmingham and I know the CAMS here goes up to 25, so it's not to 25. And I think that saves a lot of this transition messy period because obviously like 18 is kind of when a lot of people are still really struggling with their mental health and it's a time of so much change when you're doing A-levels moving to uni and then you have to transition to adult services and it's just like one extra thing and one extra problem for young people to deal with. Yeah exactly it's almost like 18 is the worst time that mental health care could stop Um, And the 0 to 25 models are really interesting. It will be interesting to see what research and what findings come out of the service evaluations. So I know they've been rolled out in a few areas of the country now. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that does help um, solve the transition problem. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Becky. My final question is, where can people get involved and find out more about you or your work? Okay, so um, probably the easiest way is just to find me on Twitter. So if you just search Becky Appleton or I'm at Becky underscore Al underscore J, um, then feel free to tweet me and yeah, I'm happy to discuss anything about my research. I'll also um, send you, Lizzie, some of the papers that I've had published from this research if anyone would be interested in taking a closer look. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Becky. Great. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you got something from today's conversation and some nuggets of wisdom you can utilise to manage your own mental health. This is a podcast made by young people for young people. So if you liked it, then please do follow us on socials and let us know about any future topics you would like to see. We hope you have a wonderful week and most importantly, take care of yourself.